Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Just a quick reminder, um, again, Jessica's going to be here next week. Uh, and I'm encouraging everyone that can come to join us. And we've been talking about faith exhibited by people in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, if you know her story, if you don't, uh, you can ask her pretty much every step of faith that she has taken. And there are some amazing steps. God has met her every single time. So uh, I think it's appropriate that we'll be hearing from her this week. And also a reminder, don't forget to check in. Uh, those of you who are doing the Facebook thing and let your friends and family know you're celebrating Jesus with us this morning. Uh, but this morning we're continuing in a, our summer long series called That's What Faith Can Do. And we're looking at the steps of faith and acts of faith taken by people in Hebrews chapter 11. And so many of us have read through Hebrews chapter 11. But this is us actually instead of just reading through as we read through going back and looking at the lives and the steps that the people took, uh, the amazing things they did. And we started by defining uh, faith from a biblical standpoint. Faith is being sure and certain of what God is doing or will do in one's life and acting on that knowledge, living one's life in a way that reflects their faith regularly and consistently, even when there is no evidence of God at work. So it's, it's not just, hey, talking the talk. It's literally walking the walk, letting your faith in God guide your actions every single day. Uh, and we said if we boiled this down to just the, the, everything that the Bible said about faith into one sentence, it would be uh, faith is being sure and certain of what God is doing and acting on the knowledge, even when there's no evidence, even when we don't see God at work. It's still trusting uh, that God is there and taking steps in our lives, acting in such a way, living our lives in such a way that reflects our faith in God. And, and that includes even in making some hard choices and even in making daily, regular choices. Every day we have choices uh, to make about things, what we're going to wear, you know, to work, which way we're going to take and, you know, all that kind of thing. But uh, faith is demonstrating faith in hard choices and in everyday choices. Not just in the little things, but even in the hard things, the things that Im impact our finances, our family, our health, all of these things, making choices that reflect um, our understanding of who God is. It's even in the way that we talk to people, especially today, and the way that we post things online, because there's a lot of, you know, political, racial, economical things going on uh, that are causing people to post things. And I look at some of these people and kind of like, you know, I thought you were a Christian, but here you are cursing someone out because they disagree with you or don't support your political, political beliefs. And that's, I mean, it doesn't matter if we're talking to a cashier, doesn't matter if we're talking to, you know, um, the CEO of a company, uh, we should treat them the same way with respect because that's the way God treats us. Doesn't matter if we're the CEO of a company or we're the guy that cleans the floors at the company, he loves us just the same. And we should treat other people the same way and we should make a choice to do so not because we're that good, but because if that person matters to God, then that person should also matter to us. And last week we began talking a little bit about Moses and the Israelites and uh, their time in Egypt and, and slavery, and we touched on the whole uh, Ten Commandments thing. Now, how many people have actually seen uh, the Ten Commandments movie? Not the new ones, not the animated one, not the NBC one, the Cecil B. DeMille, Yul Brenner, Charlton Heston, yeah, 
the awesome one, uh, not the one, because the new one they did, I think a few years back, I don't remember how many, it was literally, they made it seem like it wasn't God speaking, it was Moses hearing voices in his head, and then because he heard so many voices in his head, he went down and wrote, we shouldn't do all these bad things that I see people doing, and he wrote it based on the voices in his head, and that's not the way that it happened. But if you looked at the old school version, it's just awesome. And again, if they remake it, I, I hope and pray they just stick to that script, everything the same. Because imagine that with today's graphics and imagery, because like it would, it, it would be awesome. But I wanted to share with you quickly uh, before we move on, because uh, I love this movie. And it still comes out every spring, right? Right before Easter, it comes out on TV. Um, I wanted to share uh, just three facts, three things that you probably didn't know. Uh, about the Ten Commandments movie. Now, there's actually, I found like 10 things. Time wouldn't let me go into 10 things, but you can go Google, you know, things you didn't know about the Ten Commandments movie. Uh, and the first one was the Day of Moses. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, but um, Prince Ramses, uh, when talking to his father, Pharaoh Seti, uh, he told him that, hey, Moses gave the Hebrew slaves extra grain, but he also gave them one day and seven to rest. How many remember that from the movie? Yeah. One day and seven arrest, and the Hebrews started calling it the Day of Moses. And actually, according to the Midrash, now the Midrash is the Hebrew kind of like commentary or an oral law, uh, not the written law, that's passed down their commentary on the Old Testament uh, that's passed down. And according to Exodus Rabbah 128, which is in uh, the Midrash, it's actually true that Moses convinced Pharaoh to give the Jews a day of rest each week. And he said that Pharaoh gives his horses time to rest, so why not his slaves? And I think they actually used that line in the movie as well. Um, and then there was this thing, uh, number two, uh, about Muslims and Midian, because uh, Jethro, who is the father of Moses' wife, Zephorah, who actually, she played Herman Munster's wife, didn't she? Yes, that was awesome. I'm the only one that thinks that's cool. Anyway, um, uh, so th there were a lot of people that claimed that Jethro, uh, because in the movie they said they're descendants of Ishmael, uh, they thought that they were kind of like referencing the Muslims. This has nothing good, bad, or otherwise about Muslims, but it's not true because, number one, the Muslims didn't come into existence until hundreds of years later. Also, the Midianites, of whom Jethro uh, was, was and Zephorah, they were part of that tribe, the Midianites weren't descendants of Ishmael. They were descendants of Abraham's second wife. How many people knew Abraham had, had a second wife? After Sarah died, he took another wife named Keturah, um, and he had to be pushing 100-something then, well over 100. Um, I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't think I'd have the energy to even go through a second wedding at 100-something years old. But uh, he took a second wife, and they had a son, and from that son came uh, the Midianites. But this is the coolest one, last one. Moses' final words. Now, in the final scene, Moses is on top of the mountain, and he gives the, the law, the Torah, to Eleazar, and this is what he says to the people. He says to the people, Go, proclaim liberty throughout all the lands unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it's actually from Leviticus chapter 25, but do you know where else it's from? It's on the liberty bell. Everybody knows what the Liberty Bell is, right? Okay, yeah, good. It's on the Liberty Bell. It literally says, go proclaim liberty throughout all the lands unto all the inhabitants thereof. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to jump in and take a look at Moses' life. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 
11, verse 23, this is what it says. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, his parents hid him. They also did something else. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but they hid him for three months because they saw he was no ordinary child. If you look in the King James Version or some of the other versions, it says because he was a fine child or he was a pretty child. They basically saw... Now, here's... Let me, let me say, in my opinion, this is my opinion, because when children are born, those of you who were there at the birth of your children, obviously the women were guys, there at the birth of your children, you look and you saw what I saw when I saw my children born, a little ugly puddle of stuff that looked like a cross between Yoda and the swamp thing, right? I mean, that, I mean be honest. It, it, no, but when it was put in mom's hands, what did mom say? Oh, so cute and so precious because they look past the, the swampy, muddy blah, stuff and they saw their precious child. And that's the way that God sees us. He looks past our dirt, our hurt, the stuff that covers our hearts and he sees us as he's calling us to be perfect in him. And so that's why they said, hey, you know what? They could have done like everyone else did, uh, but they didn't. They ignored the edict from the king, from Pharaoh. And that edict basically was to take every male child and throw it into the Nile River. And it wasn't because, hey, there's, there's not enough food and we're trying to control the population. It was a blatant act of genocide to kill off a people because they were afraid of them. They were afraid that, one, they were growing uh, too many. They were about a million at this time. But they were also afraid that, hey, these guys can turn around and they can side with an enemy and they can overtake us from the inside. There was also a fear just because the Hebrews at that time, they weren't, they weren't like uh, construction workers. They weren't CEOs. They weren't anything. They were farmers. And the Egyptians at the time had a mentality that if you're a farmer, you are less than. You are a lower class citizen. And every single act of racism stems from fear. Racism is where you take whatever power or authority you have and use it to suppress another people group or an individual of another people group because of fear, because you don't know who they are, you don't know what they might do to you, you're afraid of what might happen if they uh, become a part of your society. And so they decided, hey, you know what? We're afraid of the Israelites. We're going to kill them off. Now, if, if all acts of racism stem from fear, then getting to know people stops racism. So if, well, Larry's not here, so let's talk about him. Uh, if Larry, if I didn't know Larry, and I looked at Larry and said, you know, Larry's a, a, a rich white guy, and I think all rich white guys are racist. And then I actually get to know Larry and know that, one, he's not rich, he's not racist, and he's a pretty nice guy to hang out with. I may still think that about everyone else, but I'll start thinking, you know, well, Larry, at least Larry's okay. And there are people who do that. They say, you know what, oh, all black people are, are, are criminals or this or that. Oh, but, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten to know Floyd, but he's okay, and I am okay. But I've gotten to know Floyd, and he's okay, so he's, he's not so bad. And you'll hear stories about people who are they're just brought up that way, but what, the person that they got to know Oh, they're not, they're not so bad because they got to know them. And that removed the fear of what they may or may not do. 
So um, turn to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look in a little bit about Moses' story and, and uh, what happened. And in Exodus chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you, left, right, somewhere around you. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. So uh, the, the Moses, along with the Levites, now later on they would be God's chosen people, but he was one of the Levite uh, of the tribe of Levi, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket out for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him? Now, you, you, you have to understand this, that this was at a time when, when, when everyone else was saying, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna, to you know, hide, we're going to be afraid, we're, 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 we're risking our, our children's lives uh, if we continue to let them live because the Pharaoh had said, you know, they're all, they're all going to die. And so they made a really hard choice as a parent. And she said, I'm not going to risk my child's life. I see something more in him, and so I'm going to put him in a basket and just send him down the Nile River. And if we saw people do that today, uh, we would call, you know, Child Protective Services. We would call police. We would think they must be crazy. But this is a hard, hard, hard act of faith. This is, is, is letting your faith guard extremely hard choices. The choice to take your child and put it in a basket. And this isn't, this isn't today where, you know, uh, there's people out fishing on the Nile, someone's going to find them. This is at a time when uh, crocodiles, or, or it could have just uh, got stuck in bushes and he could have been eaten by animals or starved to death. This is the hard choices that a lot of people have to make. And I, I, um, I met a woman, I think it was this past week, uh, her car broke down and so I was helping her get her car started and she was telling me that um, she was concerned because she was a single parent and when her son was born, she felt like she should have put him up to a, for adoption so that he could have a better life. But she didn't do it. And she said she was struggling with whether or not that was the right decision. Was it a selfish decision? Uh, because um, she see the, the father was, you know, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And, and, and she didn't want, um, she wanted more for her child, her son, than that. And his name is Travis, and her name is Shauna. That's right, Shauna and Travis. And she told me to share this with you and asked us to pray for her. And I told her, I said, I don't know a lot about your story. I mean, we talked for like 10 minutes. I don't know a lot about your story. But do you believe that there is a God? She's like, oh, yeah, I'm a born-again believer. I'm a Christian. I'm just struggling with this choice. And I said, even though you're a single parent, even though you're working two jobs to make ends meet, as a born-again believer, someone who believes that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, you are the best thing that could have ever happened for that child right now. There is no better place for him to be than with his biological parent who trusts and believes that God is able. And I told her that, yes, we'll, we'll, she said, will you guys pray for me on, on Sunday? I said, yeah, we'll pray for you, but I also want to pray for because they are maybe not here, but you probably know of people who have made hard choices 
either to have an abortion or to, to put a child up for adoption or to not put that child up for adoption when everyone else said, go, put it up for adoption. You can't take care of it. And they said, I, I'm, I'm going to make the hard choice, even if I have to do it by myself and raise that child. So can we just take a moment and, and pray for them and then ask you to bow our heads. God, we lift up all of these women to you, and we know that there are choices that people make every single day that we think are hard. But the choice to entrust our child to you, the choice to follow our faith, the choice to either put that child up for adoption because you think it will have a better life, or the choice to hang on to that child and go through the trials and tribulations of raising it on your own, those are tough choices. And we want to lift up those parents to you. We pray that you would support them, that you would encourage them, that you would honor their choices, honor their families, and be with their children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jumping back to uh, Hebrews, in Hebrews, next verse, chapter 24, Hebrews 11 says this, By faith Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and basically he said, you know what, rather than be known as, as this, I'm going to choose to be known as an Israelite. And there are people who will say, you know what, I'm a Christ follower, but when they're with certain crowds or when they're at work or, or when they're trying to start a relationship or when they're in a relationship, they say, hey, well, I'm not going to be a Christian then because I want to choose to be known and popular or be friends with these people. And, and this is just me, but if you're a Christ follower and people can not accept you for who you are, then you don't need them in your life. Because if they don't accept you as a Christ follower, they're not going to accept other things that you do. And if you have to keep changing to please them, then you don't need them. That's one of those hard choices. Do I want this relationship? Do I want these friends? Do I want to be popular? Or do I want to be known as God knows me? Someone who loves the Lord. And he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And let me just say this. Um, I feel like I'm getting on a soapbox. Because there are a lot of people who think that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be poor and penniless and not have any money and yada, yada, yada. And that is not the case. That's not what God's word says. And Moses didn't choose to be poor and penniless. He just chose not to engage in sin to get more stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with getting a paycheck. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house and a car or two or three. And if God happens to add a plane and a copter to that, praise God, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you start looking forward to the stuff more than you trust the one who gave you the stuff, that's where the problem comes in. And Moses chose this because he wasn't being holier than thou. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than this stuff. My relationship with God is way more valuable than the stuff that I could have. And that's what he chose. Right? Now, uh, again, that's a hard decision. 
Because it's hard to say, I'm going to give up this cush job or this cush life or, or all this stuff. Uh, the gold toilet seats, I'm assuming if you're a pharaoh, you probably got gold toilet seats. I have no idea because I am not a pharaoh. Um, my toilet seat lights up, but not in gold. It does. I'll put a picture up. But, my, but um, he chose to give all that up for Christ. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether it's politically, racially, or economically. If you're a Christ follower, you always have to choose the things of God. They always need to be your priority. They always need to be the things that are guiding you. Uh, Hebrews 11.27 says this, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, this is the first exodus for him as an individual. Later on, he left with the entire nation. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But he did it because just like we look back to the cross 2,000 years ago, none of us were there, he was looking forward to the cross to him who is invisible, to God being a part of his life. Now, those are a lot of tough choices for, for a parent to make. There's a lot of tough choices for uh, Moses to make, to give up stuff, to say, I'm going to choose this over that. I'm going to uh, choose a different job. I'm going to leave all the riches. But Jesus knows that we have to make tough choices every single day, choices that honor our faith in him, choices that reflect our faith in him. And when he wrote the, or when he spoke, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of it was about tough choices. So uh, really quickly, turn to, uh, I'm going to run through this really quickly. Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He starts out talking about the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Because we forget how blessed we are. We are so stinking blessed and we forget it. Just because we're in trouble, just because we're going through a trial, doesn't mean that God hasn't continued to bless us. And then he starts talking about uh, murder. If you've heard that it was in verse 21, said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And there's a lot of angry people online right now. There's a lot of angry people in the grocery stores right now. And what he's saying is, hey, there is so much, you're so blessed that you don't need to be expressing all of this anger and hostile attitudes because your candidate didn't win, because your party's not in control of the government, because they're making rules or laws that don't necessarily impact you, but you don't agree with. Then he goes on and he talks about having to love your enemies. It's a hard choice for someone who has just, like, stabbed me in the back, walked over me, twisted the blade in, and then spit on me while I'm down for me to get up and say, I love you, brother. How can I help you? How can I go the extra mile for you? And then he goes in, in chapter 6, and he starts talking about giving to the needy, giving to those in need. And, and there are many people, many people who are saying, like, I barely have food to eat. I'm counting the number or the amount of money in my, in my paycheck in cents, not in dollars. I'm counting the money left in my bank account in cents, not in dollars. And some people are worrying about, you know, paying for their kids' college, and I'm worried about how do I keep the lights on. And he says, yeah, but still give. Be generous. You still have blessings that God has given to you. You can still make the choice, if not with your money, then with your time and with your talents, to be generous and give to other people. Jesus doesn't want us to make the easy choices. He wants us to make the faithful choices. So here's what we're going to do. As the band comes up, I'm going to ask us to take a step of faith. And over the next seven days, I'm going to ask us to make choices that honor God. I'm going to ask us that when we talk to people, 
to only do so in a way that it honors God. When we post something online, to let it be something positive that honors God and that builds people up. And I know that in itself is like a, a huge issue. But, but here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty, this is the message version, come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Paul was saying, hey, if you've got God's Holy Spirit in you, then only good things, positive things should come out of the Spirit of God. And don't say anything that's going to cut people down or tear people up. In the next verse, he says this, make a clean break with all cutting backbiting, profane talk, be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. So here's the challenge to us for the next seven days. To our family members, to our co-workers, to, to whoever we encounter, let nothing come out of our mouth except what is good and pleasing and it's going to build people up. Let nothing be posted online or sent via email or text except what is good and positive and is going to build people up. For the next seven days, let's live our life as if we are walking and standing right there in the presence of God. God, give us the strength this week to make the hard choice to humble ourselves and submit our mouths to you, our attitudes toward others what we post, what we say. Let it all bring glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.